The world, the flesh, and the devil have beaten us up throughout the day, throughout the week, and we're broken. We got to get fixed. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1. Would you read that out loud with me right now? And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so I'd like to begin this little series on let's learn how to pray. Now, the basic meaning of prayer is to be able to talk to Almighty God so that he listens to what we have to say and he grants us his answer according to our prayer request. Now, the disciples here in the scriptures, they knew about prayer. I'm not sure if there's anyone in the world who doesn't know something, something about prayer. And the disciples, they sure knew about prayer. But when they listened to how Jesus prayed, they realized that his way of praying was so much better than their way. And I got to thinking about that, that uh, they probably discussed this amongst themselves. And then one of the disciples went on behalf of all of them and said, Lord, would you teach us? Would you show us how to pray? You see, these disciples had been taught about prayer. Quite possibly, they'd been taught to repeat certain prayers that maybe had been written out long ago by the rabbis. And there are people today in the world that do the very same thing. They repeat certain prayers that uh, people hundreds of years ago wrote out. And these prayers are just repeated and repeated. And that's what they think prayer is. Uh, Some of the Gregorian prayers... The Gregorian prayers, or the monks of the Gregorian monks, they did this with their prayers. And I'll give you an example. They would have prayed this in Latin, but the English translation is, Almighty and eternal God, you have given your servants who confess of the truth faith, I'm sorry, of the true faith, the duty to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and to worship the true unity in the power of the divine majesty. Keep us steadfast in this faith and always defend us from all adversities. For you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign one God now and forever. And they might have finished off their prayer uh, by saying in Latin, In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen which simply means in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But essentially, there's nothing particularly wrong doctrinally with a prayer like this, but the problem is that it just seems so detached and separated from from the Lord. It, It almost seems like we're writing a letter and mailing it off to a God who's far, far away. And a lot of people have that idea of prayer. And to them, that's what prayer is like. Now these disciples here in Luke chapter 11, they listened to how the Lord prayed to God the Father. They would probably listened to Him pray several times. And Jesus had such closeness and such passion and such conviction. The disciples decided they wanted that for themselves 
as well. And so they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, over the last 47 years of my life, I've learned a lot about prayer. I've learned what works. I've learned what doesn't work. And I, I don't know all there is to know about prayer. I don't think any human does. There's still depths of prayer that I've never plumbed. But I think I know enough about prayer to share with you some ideas and some tips on prayer. And so let's learn how to pray so that we can get answers to our prayers and we can get the most benefit from our time spent with God. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you close your eyes and pray with me now? Our Heavenly Father, we confess to you our lack and our need. And Father, we desperately need to be better at prayer. It's the lifeline. And we have to have a lifeline, a good, strong one. Our Father, please, through the Scriptures, through your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, teach us how to pray. And help us to learn. And Many of us have prayed for many years and we still need to learn more. And so, please teach us and bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, the very first thing that we need is to make sure we are on praying ground. Now, that is basic. I'm putting forth a message here tonight that will be sort of the kickoff. I want to do a little series on this uh, subject. Let's, let's learn how to pray. And so this is uh, primary. This is basic. If we want to get the ear of our Heavenly Father, we have to make sure we're on praying ground. And so point number one, if you're making notes, point number one is make sure you're saved. Make sure that you're saved. In Proverbs 15:29 it says the Lord is far from the wicked but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. So that tells us right away there's a difference amongst people throughout the world. There are the righteous and there are the unrighteous or the wicked. And God will hear the prayers of the righteous but he's far away. He chooses to be far away from the wicked. Now, I must hasten to say that it's true that God actually hears all of the words and all of the thoughts of all of the humans all over the world. Nothing escapes God. And when a man or woman says something they shouldn't, something evil, something wicked, well, God has to hear that and make record of it. And one day when they stand before God, they'll have to answer to God. So it's true that God... He hears all of the words, he hears all of the thoughts. But the point is that he does not pay attention to when the unsaved are praying for sinful and selfish things, worldly things. In John chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. And so that's very, it doesn't get easier or simpler than that. God does not pay attention to the prayers of sinners when they're praying for sinful things. Now, God does not listen to the prayers of the unsaved except when they pray to be saved. Now, that's a prayer that God will hear. 
We've got an example of this in the New Testament in the life of a man named Cornelius the Centurion in Acts chapter 10. And the Bible indicates this man was not saved, but Cornelius was interested in God and he was reaching out to God and he was praying to God. And so, all of a sudden, an angel appeared and said this, these words to him. Thy prayers and thy alms, those are the gifts that Cornelius was giving to uh, uh, poor people, and he was doing it as a service to God. Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. So you see, in this case, here's the prayers of an unsaved man being listened to. God's paying attention to what Cornelius was saying what he was praying. And um, it was later in this chapter that Cornelius found the Lord and he got saved, born again into God's family. Now, once you're saved, you become part of God's wonderful family and he allows us the right of access through prayer to come to him to ask for certain things. And so point number one, it's very simple, it's very important. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. If you're watching this broadcast and you're not sure what it means to be saved, but you want to find out more, then contact us. If you're watching this broadcast and you don't know if you're saved or not, but you want to settle this question, then call the office. Uh, On the screen will appear a, a phone number. That's the office phone number. You can call. And if there's no one to answer the phone, you can get the answering machine, leave a message, we'll get back in touch with you. Or you can go to our website, to uh, our email, you can send us an email. But I'm saying this, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, if you're not sure you're born again, you're saved, part of God's family, get in touch with us and we'll show you from God's word, we'll show you how you can be born again, how you can be saved. So point number one is make sure you're saved. You're not on praying ground if you're not saved. You've got to get on praying ground. This is point number one. Now, we move on. Point number two. Point number two is get fixed anything that's broken. Now, remember, we're talking about how to get our prayers answered, how to get the attention of Almighty God, how to reap the most benefit from our prayer time together with God. And prayer is more than just rushing into God's presence and asking for these seven things and then rushing out of His presence. Um, that, That is part of prayer, but there's so much more involved than that and so much more benefit than just doing that. And so it's important when we're on praying ground, we're saved, we know we're saved, we know that for sure, that's settled. Now, point number two we can come into God's presence and we can get fixed anything that's broken. You know, if you own a house and you decided you were going to sell it, you'd maybe call up a realtor and he or she would come into your home and um, they would look at things and ask you questions and take pictures and make notes and uh, maybe send in a photographer or uh, someone who can uh, make the place look beautiful in pictures. But something that the a real estate agent would probably tell you is you've got to get your house ready for market. And they'll say, fix anything that's broken. If you've got doors or windows that don't close right, 
get it fixed. If you've got a leak in the plumbing, a leak in the roof, anything that's broken, get it fixed. Folks, when we come in before God, we get into the prayer closet, we get alone with God, we need to pass inspection. We need to pass inspection. And what I'm trying to say is this. We spend time in the world. We go out of our homes and we go to jobs, we go shopping, we go to different places, different things. We're out there in the world. We spend time in the world. Hour after hour after hour in the world. Often we'll come home and we'll turn on uh, worldly movies or we'll be listening to some worldly music. We'll be hearing worldly conversations. And the combined effect of the world and the flesh and the devil, those three powerful enemies, the combined effect of them is designed to destroy our closeness with God. It's designed to, to break our fellowship with God, to tarnish our purity, to break down, destroy our holiness, to dull our spiritual senses. And so, when we come to prayer, we come in kind of limping, bruised, beaten, broken, and we have to get fixed anything that's broken. This is point number two. Now, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you're not sure where that is, the middle of the Bible is about Psalms and Proverbs, and so it's to the right of that. You'll find Isaiah. You don't have to go very far. Isaiah was a great prophet, a wonderful man of God, lived and served God, preached God's truth, and then an evil man put him to death. In Isaiah chapter 59, I want to direct your attention to one verse, and that's verse number 2. Isaiah 59 verse 2. Now would you read it out loud with me now? But... Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now that verse comes right after verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities. Those are the sins, the things that get a hold of us. Things that are broken must be fixed. They must be fixed before we can go in before God and pray and get answers to prayer and start getting all of the benefits of the prayer closet. And there are many of them. But the world, the flesh, and the devil have beaten us up throughout the day, throughout the week, and we're broken. We've got to get fixed. Before you can go to God with your requests, you need to get your sins forgiven. You need to get things that are broken fixed. And here in Isaiah, we learn this, that God was telling his people, he said, hey, I'm just as powerful as ever, but he said, it's your iniquities, your sins. They've separated between you and your God. They've caused a separation. In Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see what the devil, he's so clever. The devil, he tries to bring sin into our lives. 
And then he tries to get us to sort of excuse it away. Oh, well, other people do it. Oh, well, it's just human. Oh, well, it's just a little sin. Oh, well, God knows I'm not strong. And we try to overlook it. We try and sweep it under the carpet. And what God is telling us here is that our sin, it could even be a small sin, has caused a separation between us and God. And all of a sudden, God starts feeling distant. If you've been saved for any length of time, for a number of years, you know what I'm talking about. You must have experienced this. Times when you felt very close to God, and then sin got into your life, and then you started feeling far away from God. Backsliders feel far away from God. You know, the successful backslider has dulled his or her conscience. They no longer feel when the Holy Spirit puts a finger on our heart and says, this is not right, this needs to be fixed. The successful sinner, the successful backslider has seared his or her conscience. They have a deadness, a dullness, and it doesn't affect them, it doesn't bother them anymore. They can sin and sleep peacefully at night. My friend, that's a very, very terrible, horrible and dangerous way to live. If you're a born-again Christian and you're backsliding, God, as your Father, takes it upon Himself to chase you down and to chasten you, if need be, to bring you to repentance. There's been more than one Christian who's hardened his or her heart and suddenly one day God cut them off. They died. It's better than to let them live and bring more dishonor to God. Some of them are cut down in the prime of life. But God promises us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a good promise to know and to memorize and put in our hearts. 1 John 1, 9, very important. Now what are we talking here? Point number two in this message tonight is broken things need to get fixed. And you might be thinking right now, well, I don't think there's anything broken in my life. I think I'm living a pretty good life. I haven't killed anyone lately. Ho, ho, ho. And you can break your arm patting yourself on the back. But I'll have you know that sin is a deceitful business. It sure deceived the man after God's own heart, King David himself. In Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, David wrote to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Remember David and Bathsheba and that adulterous affair? Remember all that? And then afterwards he tried to hide it and deny it. But finally he he could run no longer. Nathan the prophet finally came in and pointed his finger at him and said, David, you are the man. And so David repented. And he wrote Psalm 51. He wrote these words, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now there is a repentance. You know, when we sin, we ought to repent. And when we repent, there ought to be some kind of sorrow in our heart for what we've done. 
A lot of crooks and criminals feel sorrow when they stand before the judge and the judge sends them to prison. But the sorrow they're feeling is often sorry they got caught. They're not sorry for what they did. They're sorry they got caught. I think there's a lot of people in hell tonight that are sorry they got caught and they're in hell, but they're not sorry for the sins they've committed. And so when you and I go to God to get the broken things fixed, there needs to be some sorrow. We need to recognize and acknowledge to God that what we've done was wrong and ask the Lord to forgive and to cleanse. And this is so important. Now, I will say this, that sometimes we sin and we don't realize we're sinning. Again, I mentioned a moment ago some Christians that say, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. I haven't murdered anyone lately. I don't think I've committed any sin. They are blind to the fact of sin. Sin is so deceptive. And they are probably committing sins and they don't even realize it. Now, I'll give you a case in point. In the scriptures, we have the church that was in the city of Laodicea. And this church filled with people was really messed up. They really were. However, they thought that they were doing pretty good. So they must have thought they had the blessings of God on them. You know, some people actually think that they're, they're right with God, they're in tune with God because they have money. They've got cash flow. They've got money in the bank and they've got assets, stocks and bonds and maybe they own silver and gold. I don't know, but... They've got wealth. And so they think, well, I must be right with God because he's given me all his money. There are people that think that way in the world. And yet they can be foul-mouthed and dirty-minded and involved in all kinds of things. The church at Laodicea was messed up. And the Lord Jesus said these words in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Here he's talking to a church. And Jesus is talking to these church people who think that they're just, you know, close with God, one-on-one with God, because they're rich, They got this, that, and the other thing, and they have need of nothing. And God is saying, whoa, time out, folks. You're blind. You don't see as I see. And Jesus told them, folks, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Sin is very deceptive. And if you ever get... The thinking, oh, well, I haven't sinned in 10 years now. I haven't sinned in 10 weeks now. Boy, you better get alone with God because chances are you're sinning and you don't even know it. Well, what do we do? Is there no provision? Yes, there is. God makes a way. And I want you to see this. I think you're in Isaiah 59 still. Would you turn back, please, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. So it's not very far back. Psalm 139. God makes provision for us because he knows sin is so deceptive 
and we can sin and not even realize it. Psalm 139, and I'd like you to read with me two verses. Verses 23 and 24. Read it out loud with me now, please. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Here's, again, King David. And he's making a prayer to God. And he's saying, God, I don't even know if there's sin in my life. I want you to search me. Search my heart, my soul, my spirit. Search my life. See if there be any wicked way. Show me. I'll confess it. Lead me in the way everlasting. And this is a good attitude of an honest saint of God. An honest son or daughter of God. If you're born again, part of God's family, this ought to be your heart cry every day. This is not a prayer you make once a year. Friend, no. This is the kind of thing you pray daily because of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. You can fall into your old ways and not realize it, and you need the Holy Spirit to say, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Oh, I see. My Lord, I'm so sorry. Search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. So there are sins that Christians can commit, and they know they're doing it, and that needs to be fixed. It needs to be repented of. We need to ask God's forgiveness. Then there are sins that we can be doing and be involved with and we don't realize that we're involved with them. We don't know. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to show us. And so, this is why, folks, we need to get the things that are broken fixed. So point number one was make sure you're saved. Get on praying ground. If you're not saved... God is not interested in your prayers unless you're going to pray to be saved. So get on praying ground. Know for sure you're saved. There are some Christians that struggle with this and they can point to a time when they had asked the Lord to forgive their sins and come in their heart and be their Savior. They can point to a time, but since that time, they have a struggle. They say, well, am I still saved? I I committed a sin or two or three since that that time of salvation. I don't know if I'm saved. Friend, you need the assurance of salvation. You need to understand what salvation is and the the length and the depth and the breadth and the height of salvation. The gift of God is eternal life and it's in Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you're struggling Am I saved? Am I truly saved? I've prayed to be saved over and over and over again. Am I saved? The devil's playing with your mind. God put it in print. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. When God saves, he knows what he's doing. You need to accept the truth that God saved you, you're his forever. Praise the Lord. 
Get on praying ground. Point two, get the broken things fixed. It's important, folks, that when we go before God, we take some time right at the beginning, before we get into our little prayer list of A, B, C, before we do any of that, we make sure the broken things are fixed. I don't know about you, but I find it's awful hard to go through a day without some kind of temptation, without the devil nipping at my heels. 47 years ago when I became a Christian, shortly thereafter, I, I heard this, I learned this, that the closer you get to God, the more you sense your own weakness. Isaiah, in chapter 6, he was a good man, a great man of God. But in the year that King Uzziah died, he got to see the Lord high and lifted up. And all of a sudden, Isaiah, this great man of God, says, Woe is me, for I am undone. And this is something that I've tried to keep in mind all these years. And the closer I find myself getting to God, the more I realize how weak I am the more I realize how fragile I am, how easily uh, I can fall. And so when we get before God, it's very important that we spend the first portion of time getting the broken things fixed. Now, point number three. Point number three is maybe a surprise to you, but it's very important. And it's true, it's true as I stand here tonight before you, it's true. Point number three, you need to allow time. Allow time for the Lord to heal your soul and settle your spirit before proceeding with your prayers. And so you've come into your prayer closet. I hope that you've read some scripture first. Warm your heart up. You get down on your face before God. You get the broken things fixed. Then you need to allow a little time because the Lord wants to and needs to comfort your heart. After you've confessed sin to Him, you have to understand that it was your sin that nailed your Savior to the cross. He died for you, my friend, that day 2,000 years ago. He shed his blood for your soul. He redeemed you. He paid for your sin. And you come through a day and you find you've sinned or the Holy Spirit reveals to you something you've been doing or saying that is not pleasing to the Father. This is called sin. And you ask the Lord to forgive you. You confess your sins and ask Him to forgive you. Well, you need to take a little time and let the Lord comfort you. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Fill you. Boy, that's something we're going to be getting into is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know if you come through any kind of sickness, now there's been a lot of COVID sickness lately, <clears throat> my wife and I have just finished coming through the uh, Omicron variation of the COVID. 
And um, I still have a tiny little bit of cough once in a while. Some of those symptoms, they, they linger, don't they? It takes a long time to finally get them out of your system. But that's my point. If you've been sick, it takes time to, for you to get back on your feet. You're hacking and coughing, your throat's sore, your nose is running, your eyes are all blurry, your aches and pains, your body, you're chilled and everything, you've got fever, you've got no appetite, you're running to the bathroom and things. You are sick, my friend. But don't expect the very next day you're going to be all better. You can go very quickly from health into sickness, but it takes a long time to go from sickness back to health. Have you noticed that? If you get sick with a flu or a cold or COVID or something, you could be a couple of weeks before you're well enough to be able to start functioning again. And then it might still take another week or two weeks or more to finally get over some of those symptoms. I've read where some people who got the original strain of COVID have had symptoms last for months after they've been better. They've had symptoms that just won't leave them alone. It's just like a dog that won't leave them alone. It's nipping at them all the time. My point is that it takes time to heal. If you've gone into the gym and really done a real workout and you've got your heart pounding, you know, your face is all flushed, you're sweating, you're shaking, you sit down, you're heaving, your breathing is so heavy, you're trying to get your breath. Well, it takes time for you to calm down and get your breath and get back to normal before you can maybe go back at it or go take a shower and get changed and get in the car and go home or something. It takes time. After point number two of getting the broken things fixed, it takes a little time before you're ready to pray. And it's during this time that you need to start to praise the Lord. After you've got the broken things fixed, start to worship God. Start to praise His wonderful name. Start to sing some hymns. That's important you do that in your prayer closet, that you sing some hymns to God. On Sunday mornings, Pastor Silver has been leading us in these two or three uh, choruses every Sunday morning for the last few months. And it's so wonderful, it's so delightful. Well, one of the reasons why I've wanted him to do that is so that everyone will learn some of these choruses so that we can sing them to the Lord in our prayer closets. Now, you may not have known that. I had a secret motive for having him teach us those choruses is so that we can take them into the prayer closet and you use them after you get your broken things fixed. Use that time and worship the Lord and tell Him how much you love Him and appreciate Him and praise His name and thank Him for the blessings and blessings and blessings He's given you. Thank Him for the forgiveness. Thank Him for the opportunity to come before Him. Folks, these are things that are so important before we get to the list 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Before we get there, this is how we we get to that point. We go through this first. We make sure we're on praying ground. We get the broken things fixed. And then we take a little time and we let the Lord comfort us. 
And as we sing praises to His name and worship Him, the Holy Spirit seems to just elevate us. And uh, Psalm 92, verse 1, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto Thy name, O Most High. So anyhow, it's when we get things all fixed and settled that we can start proceeding to prayer. And we're going to talk about that next week. And so, would you pray with me now? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.